welcome to another fantastic episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother Danny, and I'm here with my big brother Sean. How's everybody doing tonight? And tonight, we're covering a bit of a weird movie, a bit of a esoteric movie, I guess you could say. But it's kind of weird, because this film has an all-star cast, but... Maybe in a way, it's just fallen victim to the hands of obscurity. Because I've never heard of it. And I was shocked to read the cast and read what it was about. And to watch it and see all the movie had entailed. But tonight, we're checking out and talking about The Cell from Y2K, the year 2000. Yeah, you said it great, Danny, because... I think the movie The Cell straddles the line between cult classic and forgotten film. I know there are people out there that love this movie, but in my view, it's not nearly enough. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring it on the show. This movie came out around the time I was greatly expanding my knowledge of horror while still loving those weird movies from your childhood, like Labyrinth, Alice in Wonderland, or The NeverEnding Story. And then comes along this nightmarish vision. It's sort of like Silence of the Lambs on acid. I got to see The Cell in movie theaters, and I remember really loving the adventure that it offers. It's definitely a movie of its time. There's no denying the 90s music video influences on display here for obvious reasons. (laughs) But everything from the cinematography to the set and costume design comes together really well. I know I spent more time with this movie, but I can't remember if I just rented it or owned it on VHS or DVD even. What I can say is that at some point, it fell off my radar. And I think the same can be said for a lot of people that saw this movie and possibly even loved it as much as I did. What should be said, though, is now 20 some odd years removed from its release, it's still a film that stands apart. It's one of a kind. And I can think of no higher praise to offer it than that. So why don't we throw on our licorice bodysuits, suspend our disbelief, (laughs) and get lost in the cell. We at Fraternity love to take forgotten movies and bring them back into your memory. But before that, just wanted to say you can follow us on Twitter. Keep up to date with everything Fraternity is doing by going on Twitter and giving us a follow. Liking our tweets, retweeting us, and saying hi. Hit us up in those DMs, anything you want. We'd love to talk with you. And if you have any questions, comments, anything at all, email Fraternity at gmail.com. That's Fraternity at gmail.com. And hey, we're doing a giveaway. Woo! Giveaway, people. (laughs) So we're giving away a copy of Child's Play 2. Is it on 4K? 4K, yes it is. A 4K copy of Child's Play 2, and to enter to win this copy of Child's Play 2, all you have to do is go on your 
podcast listening platform of choice and write a review for Fraternity. It can be good, it can be bad, it can be whatever you want to say, hopefully good, but write a review and screenshot a picture of that review and email it to us and we'll enter you into a raffle and we're going to raffle off this Child's Play 2 4K and whoever wins it is going to get it and it's going to be awesome. I mean, we love Child's Play 2 over here. We haven't done an episode on it, but possibly the peak of the Child's Play series. You got to love <laughs> that, uh, you know, that finale in the Toy Factory is just classic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Enter to win that giveaway and we hope to have a winner soon. By the end of September. All right. So this movie kicks off with Jennifer Lopez in this beautiful white gown, riding a horse through the desert before traversing this giant sand dune and finding a young child all by his lonesome in this withering oasis. It's all very hypnotic. And the long and short of it is, Jennifer Lopez plays child psychologist Catherine Dean, who's working at some institute that uses experimental tech that allows her to enter the minds of patients who are in a coma in an attempt to coax them out and treat them from inside their own minds. This institute is being funded by the parents of this young boy. Now, before we proceed any further, why don't we discuss this soundtrack? Because I, for one, forgot just how awesome it is. Very ominous and unsettling. You know, nothing in this initial sequence is frightening, but the soundtrack manages to unsettle you a bit. Yeah, it's got this ominous tone. It has a lot of world music influence. You know, it's just familiar yet not. And it definitely sets the tone of the film really well. Yeah, and it just gets better once we get to the horrifying meat of this story. And I wanted to bring it up because recently I started to ponder what my favorite horror movie scores are. And I've got to say, like, I definitely have to consider this now. I'm not saying it's in my top five, but it's under consideration at this point. Oh, yeah, totally. Definitely underrated. So, And it definitely amps up the movie to a higher degree for sure. So for the next 30 minutes of the feature, we're about to transition into a normal serial killer movie. But before that, Jennifer Lopez shows some ass, smokes some grass, and falls asleep <laughs> to Fantastic Planet, which just shows how cool a woman can be before getting mixed up with Ben Affleck. <laughs> now, before we talk about the adequate and more than serviceable serial killer side of this movie, I couldn't help but ponder if revealing the mind traversal element first was necessarily the right thing to do. Obviously, anyone who saw the trailer to this movie would know where this was going. But the fact is that throughout the process of the serial killer segment here, we know that something's going to happen that's going to make these elements converge. So introducing Catherine first kind of spoils the twist. Especially when today someone like you, Danny, could walk into this movie completely blind. Did you have any thoughts about the structure here? 
Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying with kind of knowing where the movie is going and you're kind of waiting for it. But I did find myself kind of excited, you know, like, all right, like, I know we're going to get into this serial serial killer's mind, so that's going to be fun, right? Like, we've seen what the inside of a child in a coma's mind looks like. And that was already kind of weird, so I can only imagine what the serial killer is going to have going on inside his brain. <laughs> so, I don't know, it it definitely spoils the uh, excitement, but at the same time, I was like, yeah, I know where it's going, but I'm still, uh, I'm still down for the ride. Awesome, yeah, and I don't think that the structure as it is doesn't work. It's just something I couldn't help but think about. For sure. It's totally valid. Like, in any other movie, I would say you're completely right. But I feel like here, like, it doesn't really spoil what you actually receive in seeing what's going on in the end. It totally lives up to the hype, whichever way you slice it. Right. So, on the serial killer side of things, we have a killer performance, pun definitely intended, by Vincent D'Onofrio as Carl Rudolph Starger, because all good serial killers use their middle name. <laughs> and he's a serial killer who kidnaps his victims, places them in a cell in a remote area, and tortures them by using a system that showers them randomly before finally starting this process of flooding the cell and drowning them. Say what you will about the numerous nasty contraptions and devices seen through a franchise like Saw. This is simple, grueling, horrible terror, if you ask me. Yeah, you, uh have to live with that situation and revel in it <laughs> and there's this tiny sliver of hope that you'll make it out and then like i was just thinking like how horrifying it is not knowing when that sprinkler is gonna come on you know <laughs> right and it's just like you know it's like chinese water torture you don't know when that next drop is coming <laughs> uh, good callback <laughs> Even more terrible is the fact that Starger takes these victims home, bleaches them, turning them into dead human dolls, and then he does body suspension over their naked bodies and proceeds to watch the recording of their torture before shooting his load. Real creepy <laughs> stuff here. Any way to get off. <laughs> <laughs> Seems a bit complicated. <laughs> and on the hunt for this killer are special agents Peter Novak and Gordon Ramsay, the former played by Vince Vaughn and the latter by Jake Weber, who for my money was the only decent thing about the Dawn of the Dead remake outside of Ving Rhames. Is his name really Gordon Ramsay? It's <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you know, for as creative as the people behind the cameras are here, definitely the uh, naming is, it leaves a bit to be desired. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I just want to call Catherine J-Lo, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
These detectives manage to figure out who their suspect is after they find some albino dog hair on a victim. And they trace the sale and they match it to a vehicle that they found some paint left at a scene where the body was dumped. But none of this happens before Starger kidnaps his next victim and places her in the cell. So they go to raid his house. But before the raid, we witness Starger suffering some sort of debilitating migraine while taking a bath. And when this SWAT team finally does breach the premises, they find Starger lying naked in his kitchen. Now in a coma, this puts the police up a creek in regards to finding Julia Hickson, who is now hidden away in an automated death trap. But then this medical consultant informs the agents of the work being done at the Institute. And off we go, leaving the serial killer thriller behind in favor of this twisted, hallucinatory, psychologically driven science fiction horror thrill ride. Loaded sentence, but it's all true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love the way they film the arrival of the agents to the Institute. We get all this frantic activity shot in slow motion, including that great shot of the underbelly of a helicopter. It really sets the tone for the rest of the picture. And this is definitely where that soundtrack kicks into next gear. Right on. Especially with the doctor is like, there's no, there's nothing I can uh, help with it. And then he's like thinking, you know, and then he's like, maybe there is one thing. And yeah, then it transitions into that awesome, those awesome slow-mo shots. Very uh, Matrix, you know, (laughs) I guess that was one year prior. (laughs) Well, yeah, that was... Of course, hot. Of course, you're going to try to copy the Matrix. (laughs) Yeah. So the science team at the Institute is informed of the situation and the stakes. But the decision comes down to Catherine, who decides to go ahead with the plan. That being, enter the mind of Starger and attempt to get the information regarding the whereabouts of Julia Hickson before she dies. We're also informed of what I'm going to call the Freddy rule. You know how in A Nightmare on Elm Street, if you die in your dream, you die for real. (laughs) Well, apparently if Catherine begins to believe what happens during the synaptic transfer, then it can go as far as to kill her for real also. You know, there have to be life and death stakes here, Danny. Yeah, we need some stakes here. Even though there's dreams going on, we need something tangible to fear (laughs) for our main character. And death is that. Catherine enters Starger's mind. And we as the viewer are just bombarded by imagery. We get this awesome shot of a bound body underwater before the camera emerges. And it does this wild swooping shot of a baptism love that yeah i love that shot where it's just like almost as a complete 360 around the baptism (laughs) going (laughs) coming emerging from the water and then going back underwater it's just so good (laughs) they even time one of the actors to splash his hand in the water to make a great cut (laughs) yeah just perfect And after that cut, 
Catherine wakes up on the set of a Nine Inch Nails video, Danny. Yeah, if you're a Nine Inch Nails fan, definitely watch this film. <laughs> yeah, we've got blood dripping everywhere, bugs of all sorts leaping all around, a dog shaking off blood next to a blood-filled bathtub. It's all great stuff. But I think undoubtedly the first grand image that these sequences deliver is that of the horse, Danny. (laughs) Definitely. So Catherine finds a young Starger in a room with a horse and all these ticking clocks. She pets the horse as we see young Starger become anxious and we notice a clock is ticking down. And he pushes Catherine out of the way just as these glass panels fall from the ceiling and split this horse into multiple pieces that pull apart, revealing a living vivisection of a horse like some twisted science fair project. And for CG in the year 2000, I think this still looks really great. Oh yeah, it definitely holds up, you know, and... uh organs of the horse are still pulsating and working and it's just oh it's just so creepy and at the same time visually stimulating so it's really good yeah young Starger leaves the scene and Catherine follows but she comes across a room I call the hall of victims And she triggers this mechanism that reveals these ghastly misogynistic displays of Starger's dolls. Very S&M bondage-inspired, provocative poses. There's even an anime waifu-looking one, Danny. (laughs) I know. There's one wearing this anime mask, and it's just like, what the hell? But it's uh, (laughs) it it just works. It just... Totally works in the context of it all. I can definitely see this being very off-putting, but I just have to admire the craftsmanship from the art department on display here. And even to these actresses playing these living dead dolls, you know, it's crazy shit. Yeah, from here on out, we're just going to get so many cool scenes with just really weird imagery and if you're into that sort of thing you're gonna have a really good time speaking of a really good time danny Catherine doesn't know it but she's also unleashed this bodybuilder woman <laughs> hello she attacks Catherine, knocks her unconscious and carries her to this isolated throne room She lays her at the steps of this twisted room as we see this horrifying kingly self-image of Starger. And the room is lined with these drapes that circle around to Starger's back, and they're attached where his body modification hooks would be. And as he rises from his throne and starts to approach Catherine, they start to unfurl around the room. Just... Mind-blowing scene here for me. (laughs) What more can you say? As he descends down the staircase, making his way towards Catherine, and the drapes are coming undone, and it's just 
he looks like such a menacing figure and then he finally speaks and has that deep devilish voice and then of course it spooks Catherine and she uh, gets out of there quick. Can you blame her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So clearly Catherine wasn't able to get the information they needed. And despite Julia Hickson's situation growing more dire by the minute, I'd say Catherine is reasonably reluctant to get back in after that experience. Yeah, anyone would be having second guesses. <laughs> yeah, we get a real nice one-on-one -on -one conversation between her and Novak that convinces her to give it another go, seeing as there are parts of Starger clearly reaching out. But man, let's put the plot aside for a second, and is it great or what to watch Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Lopez cut loose here because this was relatively early in both of their careers. I want to say they both had less than 10 movies under their belts at this point. Neither of them appear in many films that target our specific tastes. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's definitely something about the hunger of an up-and-comer, whether it's in film or sport or whatever. That's just so wonderful to watch. And it's something we get to see so often here in the horror genre. Yeah, no, it's great. And like, you know, people can rag on horror as much as they want. But so many famous actors' careers have started in horror movies. And... Yeah, here's another example, and they both do a really wonderful job. That's why I say, like, a totally all-star cast that's from a movie that's forgotten, but it totally deserves to be, you know, reappraised and looked at. So, yeah, great job all around. Yeah, definitely. So, round number two in Serial Killer Wonderland begins with a fake-out. Things appear to not work, and Catherine is asked to check the power before she realizes that she is already in Starger's mind. Which does leave some questions. <laughs> <laughs> like, is Starger aware of this room on a subconscious level? Does he have some sort of better mental control due to his weird rituals? I don't know what's going on here exactly. <laughs> Why, well, when I was watching it, I feel like there was always this, like, kind of uh, implicit danger that Starger could wake up at any moment and kind of control the situation. So I feel like there was that kind of presence, like, oh, is he more in control than we're led to believe <laughs> and ultimately he isn't but i feel like that threat was kind of there and it's very subdued so i don't know if it was meant to be more uh obvious or not man i really like that musing there because as someone who saw it in 2000 that thought obviously never crossed my mind and yeah that's a that's a good uh interesting way to look at it like could he wake up i never even considered that you know yeah honestly i was expecting him to like kind of wake up and 
take control and like take Catherine hostage in real life and then like I don't know go from there but yeah ultimately it doesn't happen but I feel like that threat was definitely meant to be conveyed right on you know what I do like is how this fake out puts Catherine on defense and shortly after that she finds herself trapped in that glass box it's this tiny cell she releases herself from, and it winds up having some out-of-whack gravitational pushes and pulls. <laughs> but speaking of cells, this movie is obviously called The Cell. And why don't we talk about that? Do you like the title, The Cell? Honestly, at first, I didn't like it. Because I was kind of wondering, like, what does this, the title of The Cell really mean towards the movie? But I guess in a way you could see it as like Starger is in a cell or a prison of his own making and it's Catherine's attempt to kind of get him out of that. I guess that's my interpretation. I don't know what yours is or what's the correct one, quote unquote. (laughs) Well, I asked myself just how many cells are in the cell because The obvious cell is the one that Julia Hickson is trapped in. But yeah, definitely second in my mind would be how Starger is now trapped inside of his own mind. And it can also be viewed as Catherine's cell because if she does start to believe what's going on is real, she will be trapped as well. But also... At this point, the detectives kind of take a back seat, but they are trapped in the cell of reality. You know, they're helpless in finding Julia Hickson, and they have to reach out into the unknown here in search of those answers they so desperately need. So I counted four cells in the cell. I love the title. (laughs) I think it's great. I love the themes going on here, and it's just executed so well. Yeah, definitely multi-layered. It works for sure. I like it. It's uh I think it's so generic sounding if that makes sense. Like unfortunately, you know, like with a better title. But whatever. I mean, I was reading this movie did good in the box office anyway. So I do question why it fell to such obscurity. <laughs> yeah, it's so strange and I know it just recently had a birthday so (laughs) and i know on twitter there were people celebrating it but again it just it still feels like it straddles the line between cult and forgotten like more more than almost any other film i can think of (laughs) some movies yeah they just really struggle and they never really reach either or and they're just kind of stuck in this weird purgatory (laughs) There's the fifth cell, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) So Catherine winds up finding young Starger. And I hate to say that we're treated to, but we are treated to this montage of childhood abuse. Very dark, (laughs) very upsetting stuff on display here. And I will say that I don't think the movie pushes too hard in making an attempt at drawing out compassion for Starger. It definitely tries to present him in a shade of gray as a tortured individual that's trapped in his own outrageous form of hell at this point. 
parts of him are clearly suffering for his sins, right? Right. But I don't think that we're asked to forgive him. But I guess the question would be, at this point, after all he's done, is death too good for him? Should he be left to suffer in this version of hell for the rest of his comatose life? And at the end of the day, I think the only one qualified to say would indeed be someone who was able to experience that hell for themselves like Catherine. Yeah, and I really like what they do with the young Starger and the kind of the dichotomy of his own soul, like his young self is like just wanting to die and get away from the horrors of his past and what has become his reality of being a serial killer. And just like, you know, this can happen if you're abused and suffer abuse. And I like too, like, there's a little bit of implication that Novak has gone through something horrible in his life because he's said, like, I believe that you can suffer great pains and still make it out as a better person in the end. So it's that question of, like, will abuse like that always end in turning a person truly dark-hearted and evil or is there always hope is there always the light at the end of the tunnel to become a better person so i think it's interesting i definitely feel bad for starger and i feel for him but at the same time he's done atrocities that can never be forgiven so it's painted very gray and i appreciate the film for that yeah, and I love that bit too with Novak when he's talking with Catherine and says that because it's not really explored, but when he says that, you know, what you said, he's like, I, I think someone can go through 10 times worse and still never do terrible things like that. And she's like, are you sure of that? And he says, yes, I am. And it definitely points yeah. to abuse in his past. That he overcame. Yeah, and I was almost expecting them to kind of go deeper into it, but it's almost better that they just leave it unsaid and that you kind of maybe not even realize it on your first viewing and on your second viewing, like, man, like, it just gets you thinking, too. Like, could someone really suffer all this and be okay on the other end and not succumb to uh, the tragic cycle of abuse? Yeah, they do leave it. Well, I don't want to say they do because I feel like it's pretty implicit, but it's also ambiguous. Like, it's well done. Good acting. Yeah. You could totally chalk it up to, like, Novak just having that righteous sense of uh, justice in his heart. But yeah, I definitely believe Novak was going through something in his childhood and probably led him down the path of becoming a detective. Catherine finally gets to meet adult Starger in a normal state as he's sitting in the memory of his first victim and reminiscing. They have this back and forth that reveals Starger's first schizophrenic episode and how it was triggered during his baptism. She attempts to question him about Julia Hickson, but he retreats into the shadows 
and sneaks up behind her as a pale imp with hair horns. Gotta <laughs> love the hair horns, Danny. The ha- I was like, is that hair? Oh, it is his hair. <laughs> <laughs> he overpowers her and places this necklace around her. And this causes Catherine to begin to believe the synaptic transfer is reality. So she becomes trapped in Starter's mind. And with this looming threat of physical death for Catherine, it's now up to Novak to enter the synaptic transfer and attempt to rescue her from that twisted hell. I won't lie, I was a little worried for the story. At this point, because I was like, oh, like, I don't want Catherine to become a damsel in distress, you know? Yeah. And that Novak has to come and save the day. But I think they subvert what happens next really great because she really isn't a damsel. She, because almost immediately Novak is taking capture himself. <laughs> As far-fetched as this movie is, having the inexperienced Novak enter the synaptic transfer is almost a bridge too far, but I'm with you. I think it succeeds regardless. Right. And I love Novak's hallucinatory entrance into the synaptic transfer. And again, you gotta say that these digital effects really hold up. I think mainly because they're very abstract and not overly complex. But then Novak does traverse the mental hellscape in search of Catherine. I like, too, how much he's struggling to, like, reach this other side. You know, he's, like, breathing really hard and he's struggling. He feels like he's going to vomit, you know? <laughs> like, it just... Right. It uh, paints just how much of a toll it takes on the mind to uh, go into this dreamlike world. Yeah. And I have to point out, young Starger leads Novak to Catherine, who is now dressed like a nightmarish version of a queen from the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I think Amidala would be jealous of that outfit, dude. <laughs> oh, that's a, it's a great costume. Yeah, and like you said, he attempts to snap her out of it, but King Starger gets him first. Now he's dressed in this crazy golden getup, and he's almost like a mix between a king and a jester. (laughs) And we immediately get treated to the abdominal music box torture sequence, where King Starger uses scissors to cut out some of Novak's intestine, and he wraps it around this crank device and begins to turn it and just pull Novak's intestine slowly out of his stomach. Oh, that's terrible, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Impressively, though, Novak does not allow himself to believe that this is real. And he's forced to remind Catherine of a traumatic event from her past that manages to snap her out of this trance she's in. And she stabs Starger, who screams as Catherine and Novak find themselves in a different room. And young Starger is there now displaying the stab wound himself. But more importantly, the room they find themselves in is a representation of the flooding cell. And there's like a mermaid doll swimming in it. You even have like the representation of the cameras recording it. 
And as he inspects the cell, Novak finds the symbol that he had seen on something in Starter's basement. And he decides to follow the clue. And he pulls himself and Catherine out of the synaptic transfer just as we see King Starter abduct young Starter. So we're really getting to the climax here. Because the detectives leave to follow up their lead and rescue Julia Hickson. But at the same time, Catherine is now sympathetic to young Starger. And she reverses the feed after locking her co-workers out and pulls Starger into her mind. Did you see all this coming down, Danny? I definitely did not see this coming. But it totally makes sense for the story and the character of Catherine just caring so much about her patients. And of course caring about Starger despite what an evil person he is in real life. In the dream world, you know, he's this fractured man who has many personalities to him. And, you know, just the character of Catherine caring so much, I think is just really well done in... You know, not stated enough that there's this this care for people in the film. Yeah, and the tension just ratchets up here from every direction. And we even start to see the flooding process of the cell is well underway at this point. But in Catherine's mind, young Starger finds himself in this beautiful cherry blossom filled snowscape. And there's this pool of water at the center of it. And Catherine appears in the image of the Virgin Mary and beckons him forward. And we get this great scene where young Starger sits with Catherine as these golden vines spread across the screen and red flowers bloom. And as they talk, adult Starger emerges and relates a story of Mercy killing a bird to Catherine in this attempt to convince her to do the same for him. But she tells Carl that she can't do that when all of a sudden, the beauty fades, and darkness takes hold as this dark reptilian version of King Starger emerges from the pool. Man, what is this... Awesome look number five (laughs) for Vincent D'Onofrio's character. Yeah, just this costume alone is just a notch above the rest, but at the same time, like, just as good. Like, they're all so good, but this is definitely my favorite, especially when he drops the cape and it's just, you're shown his whole figure and it's just like, man, that's so cool, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's awesome, dude. And while this is all happening, Novak's lead comes through and he heads for this farm where Julia Hickson is being held. And then we see Catherine transform into like a warrior princess. And she's firing arrows at the shadowy Starger who's moving about the cherry blossoms. She pins him down. And goes on offense as Novak arrives and we see that Julia is now treading water as it gets dangerously close to filling up the cell. We get this nasty bit with Catherine ripping out King Starger's nipple rings. Oh, (laughs) that's brutal. (laughs) And then she viciously beats him into a bloody pulp, dude. (laughs) (laughs) 
Novak manages to find Julia Hickson, who's resorted to sucking air out of a pipe. He urges her back and empties his firearm into the glass, almost shooting himself because it's ricocheting off of this shit. (laughs) I know, right? He cracks the glass a bit and then uses this pipe to shatter it. And the water just comes rushing out. And he climbs in and attempts to console the inconsolable Julia, who really has no idea who he is. I think she's very confused at this point. (laughs) Been trapped in there for days, soaking wet. I mean, you'd be uh, shocked at any person you see. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile... Carl urges Catherine to kill him, but King Starger recognizes that it's not real when she (laughs) plunges the sword into his chest. And then he points out that young Starger has all the same wounds. So Catherine reverts back to the Virgin Mary and carries young Starger to the pool of water. She holds him under until he expires and we witness Starger die in the real world also. It's really hard to narrate all of this in the order that it's presented on screen. I think I tried to do it in order of importance, but it should be noted how well that this final sequence is edited together. Like the baptism of Carl occurs at the same time that Novak is smashing the cell and like it all just lines up perfectly. Great editing through this whole finale. It just builds to this epic crescendo. Right. Totally has that music video essence and awareness with the editing. And yeah, such a well edited movie totally flows perfectly so well, especially in this finale. We do get a bit of an epilogue with Novak at Starger's residence, and we get hints of how much the mental hellscape of Starger was influenced by things from his real life. And Catherine pays Novak a visit. They thank one another. And we also learn that the FBI is going to cover up everything that happened at the Institute relating to the synaptic transfer. But lastly, and most important, we see Catherine use everything that she learned through this grueling trial to finally connect with young Edward and gain his trust. And that's the end of our movie. So what are your final thoughts on The Cell, Danny? The Cell is, in my opinion, such a forgotten and underrated film i mean if you're a fan of horror or just weird gothic imagery in general you owe it to yourself to get this movie any way you can and just watch it because you're in for a treat just the imagery alone in this film and the shots on the screen are just more than worth the price of admission. If there's one complaint, I feel like 
the main structure of the story can be seen as a little generic, but I feel like the characters give that story the needed depth that keeps it from being totally uninteresting. So yeah, I like The Cell. It's great. It's a really fun movie, and again, I think it's forgotten, and I think we need to bring it back and enjoy it. So that's what we're doing here. I was shocked to learn that there is a cell too, and I'm a bit scared. Wait, there's a cell too? Yeah, oh I think it was a direct the, to the video. Cur- <laughs> the curse of the horror sequel knows no bounds. <laughs> I vaguely remember hearing about this, but it so quickly left my mind <laughs> because I just can't imagine it being any good but yes let's bring back the original cell (laughs) it deserves far more of a celebration than we can give it just here but we did our best right on well another thing you can say about the cell danny is there is not much in the way of kills so was there anything you wanted to spotlight here (laughs) I guess my favorite kill would be in the end here of Starger because I just love that it kind of switches course as Catherine is beating on the kingly version of Starger and he mocks her and is like, you can't kill me. Like, to kill... Starger as a whole, you have to kill the source, which is the young Starger, you know, the one that has the soul that's truly there, isn't the monster. And it's kind of a somber end to this character and as a finale to this movie. And it's just so well done. And I just love everything going on in this scene. It's really great. Well said, and yeah, like, it literally pushes everyone involved to the emotional limit, right? <laughs> like, right. Even Catherine is just destroyed by the end of it. <laughs> we got bored. <laughs> Great choice. I'm so glad that you chose Starger. I myself thought I would highlight the way that the movie effectively uses the first victim that we see, because we didn't even talk about it, but we get that excellent sequence of Starger going to the hideaway and we're treated to a look at the aftermath of the torture, the flooded cell with that poor young lady floating in the water. And there's that great shot of Starger putting his hand on the glass And then we get the jump scare where her body begins to twitch and convulse. And we see how startled that Starger is from that. But equally effective and chilling to the core is when the agents show the videotape to the synaptic transfer team. And it's just so heartbreaking when you witness the girl on the videotape on the verge of drowning and she begins to call out to her daddy 
asking him to come save daddy's little girl. And that's the catalyst that really nudges Catherine toward the affirmative in proceeding with this daring attempt, despite the horrible odds. So I just love the way they use that victim that we see to push the narrative, you know? Totally, yeah. Like, we didn't really talk about it, but it's another really well done scene in this film. And yeah, you described it perfectly. Well, speaking of scenes, what's your favorite, Danny? I think my favorite scene is going to have to be the torturing of Novak when he is uh, in Starger's mind. That is awesome, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's for mainly two reasons. One is because it did subvert my expectations. Like I said, I was worried that they were going to make Catherine into a damsel, you know, and I was definitely happy that she ends up being the true hero of the story overall. And it is cool to see Novak in here as well. But of course, he's getting tortured and getting his intestines pulled out gruesomely <laughs> is a, a sight to see. But second of all, like, I think the part in the film that really like is so artistic and ascends all heights is when like he's getting tortured and he's calling out to Catherine recalling her own tragic story in her past. And I think the way the audio is mixed, it's almost like has a lot of reverb. It's almost in the background and we get these close up shots of Catherine you know, she has this evil smirk on her face, but slowly it starts to fade away as she's beginning to remember her true life and as she begins to cry as Novak's words have reached into her and made her realize what's really going on as she gets up and stabs Starger. It's such a great moment in the film, such a good scene, and... You know, just really unique and mixed wonderfully. I love it. I'm a really big fan of this whole torture scene. And of course, Starger is wearing this kingly outfit like we've been talking about. It's just so good. And the whole time as uh, Novak is getting his intestines pulled, Starger is like reciting this poem or whatever. It's, (laughs) It's great. Yeah, that's always been a favorite bit of mine. Like, I've always loved that abdominal music box torture as i (laughs) called it but uh yeah you really have to appreciate novak's bravery coming through too you know because we've already seen catherine fall prey to this and despite what has to be excruciating mental anguish he still stays the course and manages to snap her out of it and yeah i love the shot of that single tear rolling down her cheek great stuff right on so sean give it to us your favorite scene in the cell well just like last week this is another movie where i think nothing compares to that first adventure my favorite scene starts from the splitting of the horse goes through the Hall of Victims, and all the way to that first reveal of King Starger. It's just 
a visceral assault on the senses. Around the time of its release, this was a fairly mainstream horror film, and it was quite uncommon to see things this cerebral and this risque. You know, the gloves weren't off in 2000 like they often seem to be today. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Plus, it just comes down to the stunning art direction, the set and costume design. I definitely think my favorite sequence in the entire film is that reveal of King Starger in the throne room. It's just so surreal and frightening, and it's like a painting coming to life. I said before, and I'll say it one last time, because I truly believe it's the best compliment that I can give this movie, and that's that it's one of a kind. Like, sure, if you grew up in the 90s, the influences are more than a little obvious. Some might go as far as to say the film can be derivative at times. But I'd argue that no one ever took all of these influences and crafted something quite like The Cell before. Or after. And what's more is it's something that I don't think you could imitate. You will never see a set of influences delivered quite like this again, if you ask me. Yeah, totally. Like. The influences that the cell used, like, have definitely run their course and gone out of style. But I feel like the cell holds its own. So, you should definitely go watch it if you haven't seen it. If you liked what we had to say. (laughs) Definitely. And we hoped you liked this episode. We're one month closer to October. It's just around the corner, Danny. (laughs) I can't wait to trick or treat. (laughs) Is that legal in California? (laughs) Well, all right. What do you say we go ahead and get out of here then? All right. Well, go watch The Cell if you haven't seen it. Go follow us on Twitter. Email us. Do all those great things. And we will see you next time for another wonderful episode of Fraternity. This is Danny and Sean signing out, and we hope you have a good night. Good night, everyone.